You're listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. To find out more about the Whole Vineyard Church, go to wholevineyard.co.uk. Um, so we're going to continue to look at the book of Daniel. Uh, so we're on Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to be reading from verses 1 to 23. So if you want to follow in your Bibles, or you can follow on the screen. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, giving to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting, and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, We have sinned, we have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, O our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant, For your sake, Lord, look on favor with your desolate 
on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord, my God, for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, a word went out, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Thank you, James. Another long passage. Um, Good morning, everybody. Good to see you here. If you're here for the first time this morning, we've been exploring the book of Daniel for the past few weeks from a young Jewish teenager from the royal family of David taken into exile in Babylon to now an octogenarian, about 87 years of age, Bible scholars think in this passage. This is our final week looking at Daniel's life, which essentially was a life of prayer, which is our title of our talk today, A Life of Prayer. And chapter 9 opens with Daniel in the middle of a Bible study, which led to a time of prayer. For those of you familiar with the story so far, this is unsurprising. Prayer had been central to Daniel throughout his life. For example, he and his three friends sought the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar threatened to kill all of the wise men if they couldn't interpret his dream. It was his habit to pray to the Lord three times each day, even when it was illegal to pray to anyone except the king, for which we know he was thrown into a den of lions and survived to tell the tale. When God gave Daniel visions of future events, he wasn't satisfied until he had asked God for an explanation. So now we find that Daniel has been in exile for decades, and throughout this time he has remained devoted to God, devoted to the Jewish people, and devoted to prayer. And as someone who's devoted his life to prayer, even when his own life was at risk, Daniel chapter 9 gives us an amazing insight, a model of what it looks like for us to be a people of prayer. We're going to be looking at how Daniel was disciplined, dependent, and devoted. I know the slides are a little bit um, smaller than usual today, but hopefully you'll be able to see those behind me. And for those of you who love alliteration, we're using that again. So first of all, disciplined. By disciplined here, I mean showing extraordinary self-control, determination, and purpose. Daniel's life demonstrated a long obedience in the same direction. He was incredibly disciplined, even as a young teenager, refusing to bow to the pressure to eat the food of the Babylonians, praying three times a day even when it was against the law with threat of death. And Daniel was also disciplined in the way that he lived his life, his daily habits. In verses 1 to 3, we see Daniel engaged in three spiritual practices, 
also sometimes known as disciplines, that are just as important to us as Christians today. He was reading God's word, praying, and fasting. As chapter 9 opens, we find Daniel studying the scriptures, namely the book of the prophet Jeremiah. It is 539 BC, the year that Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. This would have been no surprise to Daniel, because God had already told him this would happen. The Jewish people had been in exile now for almost 70 years, the time God said they would be. And Daniel is searching the scripture about their future as a people group. As mentioned earlier, he is now an old man in his late 80s. A great reminder for us that we will never get too old or too experienced to read our Bibles. Daniel, with all of his life experiences, prophetic dreams and words, even angelic visitations, knew the importance of studying God's word. The famous Bible teacher David Pawson once shared the story of a lady in her 90s who, whenever she was seen, was fervently reading her Bible. When questioned about this, she said, I'm swatting for my finals. Let's have a look at just a few things the Bible tells us about God's word. It is spiritual food. Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Ephesians 6 tells us that the sword of the spirit is the word of God, the only offensive weapon in the armor of God. John 17, 17 tells us it is truth. It is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It says in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 to 17. It will stand forever. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And as Christians, we've received the Holy Spirit, who the Bible, among other things, refers to as our teacher and guide who brings wisdom and revelation as we read God's word. As the Bible is living and active, as we've just seen, we have the living and active Holy Spirit living in us. God's word never grows stale or old. It never ceases to amaze me that no matter how many times I may have read certain Bible passages and verses over the 30 years I followed Jesus, God can give me a fresh revelation or the Holy Spirit illuminates something different to me every time. I'm sure you'll have experienced similar. The Bible isn't something to be read once and then kept on the shelf, like a great many of the books that we might own. It's to be our daily bread that never loses its freshness. Bible teacher and theologian Warren Wearsby, who was known for his passion for God's word, said this, one of the beautiful things about the inspired word of God is its constant freshness. No matter how often we read it, there is always something new to learn or something familiar to see in a new light. He goes on to say, over the centuries, people have ignored, denied, attacked, and sought to destroy the Holy Scriptures, but the Word of God is still here. We live in a time of rapidly changing ideas, events, and situations. The unchanging Word of God is our dependable light and unshakable foundation. 
Daniel had loved and relied on God's word all of his life. We aren't told exactly what Daniel read from the prophet Jeremiah, but we know he read that the Jews would be in exile 70 years, so it could well have been the following. Very famous passage in Jeremiah 29, 10 to 14. This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. In some versions of Daniel 9 verse 3, it says that he set his face to the Lord. And I love that expression as it describes how determined he was to earnestly seek him possibly motivated by Jeremiah 29, 13. It challenges me in the situations that I face for my first response to be to set my face to seek the Lord. Being in God's word and particularly hearing his promises concerning his people drove Daniel to prayer. And the same principle applies to us today, to let the word of God drive our prayers. <coughs> Not only was Daniel praying, he was fasting too. Again, we have seen throughout Daniel's life that the discipline of abstaining from food for spiritual purposes was key. And the topic of fasting is a talk in itself. But the fact that Daniel was fasting in sackcloth and ashes was a sign of repentance and humility before God. And throughout the Bible, we see how whole destinies were shaped through times of prayer and fasting. The two go hand in hand. And they were regularly demonstrated in the life of Jesus and the early Christians. When speaking about prayer and fasting in Matthew 6, Jesus didn't say, if you fast, but when you fast. Reading God's word, praying and fasting continue to be of importance to us today. And in the month of January as a church, we're going to be starting the new year by pressing into all three of these. They'll be the focus of our Sunday gatherings and also some altogether home group nights. In addition, we're really excited about launching our dedicated prayer room, which will be available to be booked out during the week. Daniel was disciplined in reading God's word, praying and fasting, because he knew he was totally dependent on God. So looking at our second D, dependent. It's wonderful that some of Daniel's prayers are written down, as they can give us an amazing insight into his prayer life that we can apply to ours today. The first time we hear Daniel praying aloud is in chapter 2, after he and his three friends pray for an interpretation for Nebuchadnezzar's dream, knowing that they'll be executed otherwise. After he receives the interpretation, Daniel says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He deposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. 
I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king. I go back to this chapter as it reveals why Daniel placed such a high value on prayer. He knew that everything, times and seasons, rulers and authorities, are all dependent on God. He knew he needed great wisdom and discernment to navigate the complex circumstances he was in, and that only God could give him this. He knew that God could reveal hidden things, things in darkness, and bring his light and revelation. And ultimately, he was confident that God would answer his prayers, which he did. No wonder he refused to stop praying when it was against the law to do so. For Daniel, prayer wasn't a religious ritual. He knew he was speaking to the highest authority, the God of the universe on whom everything depends. In chapter 9, we're given a longer insight into Daniel's prayer life, which we can learn much from. Daniel's prayer contains four key elements, which usefully spell out the word pray. We've got praise, remembering who God is and all he has done. Repentance and confession, acknowledging sin and wrongdoing and asking God to have mercy and forgive. We have a section of asking or petition, presenting our request to God. And finally, yielding, surrendering the situation to God. Let's take a brief look at each of these. Firstly, praise. Daniel begins his prayer with the praise and adoration of God. He says, Lord, the great and awesome God. Now, great and awesome are two commonly used words in our culture today. Share any sort of good news with someone, and you'll often get the words used in the reply, that's great, that's awesome, or similar superlatives, especially if you're talking to Josh Turner, maybe. (laughs) Sorry, Josh. There's nothing wrong with that at all, but I wonder if perhaps their overuse reduces their meaning and impact. I know on first reading, they didn't particularly stand out to me, maybe because I'm so familiar with them. But they're important, firstly, because God is the only one who's truly great and awesome. But also, it reminds us of how to come to God in prayer by remembering who it is that we're talking to. Why is it so important to begin our prayers with praise and adoration, you may wonder? I'm sure that God is very secure in his identity. He doesn't need reminding about who he is or what he's done. However, we do. Like Daniel, we may be facing tough situations. We may be feeling totally overwhelmed by our circumstances. Reminding ourselves who God is and what he has done puts whatever we're about to pray about into perspective and increases our faith to pray bold prayers. It helps us to put temporary emotions aside as we remember and proclaim eternal truth because who God is doesn't change despite any mess or circumstance we might be in. It's worth remembering too that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, he started with, our Father, hallowed be your name. Jesus reminds us that we aren't coming to someone distant or indifferent. We are coming to our Father, our Dad. And as a parent, I love to be told and shown how much my kids love me. And I'm sure God delights in our praises in the same way. However, as well as our dad, God is holy, almighty, all-powerful, 
And Jesus' next line is, hallowed be your name. Pete Gregg, in his book on prayer, says this, we have a notion of divine love devoid of divine sovereignty. Unwittingly, we have unhallowed the Father's name. And in losing the godness of God, we struggle in prayer because we fail to grasp the mind-blowing privilege of simply being in the presence of the living God. Daniel fully grasped this privilege, and it's something that we need to grasp too. After praising God, Daniel, Daniel's prayer moves into a time of repentance and confession of Israel's sins. Daniel acknowledges that despite God's multiple acts of compassion and forgiveness, his people have continued to rebel and have chosen not to obey him. Daniel is praying here what we call an intercessory prayer here on behalf of the Jewish people. Even though we know that Daniel himself has remained faithful and obedient to God despite the opposition he faced, he still chooses to identify himself with the people using the pronouns we, our, and us rather than they and them. And throughout scripture, in several times in Israel's history, the intercession of one person brought about the nation's deliverance. We see that in the story of Moses, Elijah, King Hezekiah, to name but a few. In the New Testament, James 5.16 says, the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. God doesn't have to wait for the entire nation to repent and cry out for mercy. He responds to the believing prayers of one faithful person. I find this such an encouragement to us as we pray for our city, our nation, and our world. Our prayers can make a huge difference and even shape history. Although this is a corporate confession on behalf of a whole people group, there's an important principle for us to apply to our personal prayers here too. Daniel says sorry before he says please, knowing that he's speaking to a merciful and forgiving God as he states in verse 9. We as Christians, of course, are now living in the light of what Jesus has already done for us. However, we are still called to keep short accounts with God, knowing that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It says in 1 John 1 verse 9. Another promise in God's word Daniel's confession reminds me of is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Again, a very well-known scripture. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Daniel knew and modeled the truth of this promise and it still stands for us today. Daniel moves on from repentance and confession to presenting his request to God. Now, prayer means many things to many people, but at its simplest and most obvious, it means asking God for help. And if you asked any non-believers or the general public, this is probably how they would define prayer. Someone once commented, there are no atheists on a falling plane. The word prayer actually comes from the Middle English to ask earnestly and from the Latin word to entreat. The Lord's Prayer, which Jesus taught his disciples, includes lots of asking. 
Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. You may wonder why we need to ask. After all, God is all-knowing, so he's already aware of our needs. To understand the answer to this, we have to grasp what God created us for, why he sent Jesus and what he desires now. That is, relationship with us as his daily loved children. It's true that God knows the desires of our heart. He knows our needs and he knows our anxieties and everything else about us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. But his desire is that we talk to him about all of these things. And Josh spoke last Sunday evening on 1 Peter 5 verse 7, which says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Jesus speaks of this father-child relationship himself in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Sorry, we don't have a slide for this, but I'll read it. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? God doesn't want us to sit passively waiting for him to supply our needs. He desires relationship for us to know him as we are fully known. The God of the universe, who also happens to be your dad, wants to speak with you. How awesome is that? It's interesting that Jesus himself asked lots of questions, which ironically, he already knew the answer to. When the woman who had been pleading for many years touches the hem of his, pleading for healing for many years, touches the hem of his garment in faith, he doesn't just carry on as nothing has happened, indifferent to her answered prayer. He says, who touched me? He wants her to be seen and known and recognize her importance to him. When blind Bartimaeus comes to Jesus, he asks, what do you want me to do for you? I've often read that part and thought, uh, isn't it a bit obvious? But Jesus wanted relationship with Bartimaeus. He wanted him to know that he cared about him and wanted to hear from him. And he asks us the same question when we come to him in prayer. What do you want me to do for you? Asking demonstrates relationship and trust in the Father who wants to give us good things as his dearly loved children. It's asking for things specifically and with boldness, yet at the same time submitting to his will. Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, a bold prayer, but then followed that with thy will be done. And in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Notice here that Paul isn't saying that God will grant all of our requests. And I know with hindsight, I'm really relieved God hasn't answered every one of my prayers with a yes. We have to trust he knows best. However, Paul does promise that God will give us his peace, allowing us to align our hearts with his will. This is an example of yielding to God.
Yielding is surrendering to God and to his will. And we see this is Daniel's posture of surrender at the end of his prayer. He throws himself on God's mercy, expressing total dependence on him. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay. Because of your city and your people, bear your name. Yielding is handing the situation we are praying for fully to God, trusting that he has heard and will answer us. Sometimes, having presented our request to God, we need to stop talking and listen instead and wait on him. After all, prayer isn't about us doing all of the talking. It's meant to be a two-way conversation. I know after a time of asking, I often find just sitting in silence or listening to some worship music or going for a walk helps me to yield whatever it is I've been praying about to God. It's about stopping doing and talking and instead being and waiting and resting in his presence, totally dependent on him and knowing we can totally trust him. Coming into land, we've seen that Daniel's life of prayer was one of discipline and dependence on God, but perhaps an all-encompassing word that best sums up Daniel's story is devotion. Daniel was devoted to God and his people. I'd just like to highlight one final thing here that we could easily miss in Daniel 9, and yet I think it's so significant. When Gabriel comes in response to his prayer, Daniel says that it was about the time of the evening sacrifice in verse 21. Now, the evening sacrifice was the daily burnt offering of the Jewish people offered around 3 p.m. However, at this moment, it would have been around 70 years since Daniel was last in Jerusalem and around 50 years since the last evening sacrifice had been offered before the temple was destroyed. Yet Daniel is still following Jerusalem time after decades in exile in a foreign land. Years in Babylon have not been able to erase Daniel's memories or or devotion, years of longing and yearning for home. And like Daniel, we as Christians are living in exile in our temporary home here on earth. Daniel's body may have been in Babylon, but his heart and his mind were in Jerusalem. We may be living here on earth just now, but the Bible tells us that our citizenship is in heaven, and we are called to fix our eyes on eternity, on things above where our life is hidden with Christ in God. And so I just want to close with these verses from 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18. Therefore, we do not lose heart, that outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thank you for listening to the Whole Vineyard Podcast. We would love to connect with you and welcome you home to church. To find out more, go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash connect. And stay up to date with all that is going on in the life of our church. Go to wholevineyard.co.uk forward slash church news and sign up for our weekly mailing. Thanks for listening. We hope to see you soon.